Amen. Well, good morning. You know, Jesus gives us a model for how we're to live our lives. Fully dependent upon the Spirit of God, fully obedient to the Word of God, and fully reliant on the power of God through prayer. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at Jesus' life and how He lived His life and the model that He gave us for how you and I can live our lives so that we, too, can be like Jesus. We're going to be looking at the heart and the habits of Jesus and how He lived so that we, too, can live fully dependent upon the Spirit of God, fully obedient to the Word of God, and fully reliant on the power of God. And we're going to do so by looking at some foundational principles that Jesus built his life upon. As we look at his life in the Word of God, we see these, these principles, these things, can, these habits he did continually come up over and over and over again. And they're simply this, that he was dependent upon the Holy Spirit. He lived a life of fervent prayer. He was obedient to his Father's agenda. The centrality of the Word of God was throughout his life. He exalted his father in everything that he did, and he had intentional relationships with others. See, these things we're going to be looking at are spiritual disciplines, those habits and things that we can do in our lives that can help us become more and more like Jesus. And so today, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. We're going to be talking about what does it mean and what does it look like for us to depend upon the Holy Spirit. See, over and over and over again throughout God's Word, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God is mentioned in Scripture. In fact, the Holy Spirit or Spirit of God is mentioned over 800 times in the Old and New Testament. Just as a point of comparison, Jesus is mentioned 925 times. So for the fact that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is mentioned over 800 times is pretty significant in God's Word. And it's something we should be paying attention to. But the problem is, the reality is, most Christians fall in two different extremes. Most Christians fall in, in one of two extremes. And it's kind of like a pendulum swing. And you've got some over here on this side of the pendulum that they overemphasize the Spirit. And you have some over here on the other side of the, spindle, the, the pendulum and they underemphasize the Spirit. And many of you were able to notice where you fall based during the last few minutes of worship. If you have a Presbyterian background, you worship like this. Methodist, you bring your hands out. Baptist, you're kind of down by your side. And then the more charismatic you get, the higher your hands go, right? But here's the reality. Those who are obsessed with the Holy Spirit, some people in more of the charismatic, Pentecostal backgrounds, not all, but some, I mean, these are general characterizations, so I don't want you to come up and say, well, I grew up in a, in a Pentecostal church and we didn't have that, but listen, I just want you, these are general ideas, and where most people that over the years that I've discovered fall, they, those that are obsessed with the Holy Spirit, relate to Him in a very mystical way. And oftentimes in strange ways, and, and sometimes in highly emotional experiences. If you've ever been to a church like that, you know what people that attend those churches, they, what do they do? They bring tambourines, kites, flags to church. Like before the service, you see, see people stretching out back just so they don't pull a hammy, right? During worship. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's oftentimes what happens in the midst of an overemphasis of the Holy Spirit. But here's the reality, and where probably most of us fall. 
Because I've found the majority of Christians actually fall into the other side. Because of the overemphasis, there tends to be an ignoring of the Holy Spirit altogether. See, because of the reaction to the overemphasis, we tend to underemphasize the Spirit of God. And oftentimes that leads us to ignoring Him entirely. Many people that fall in that category, they know that there's a trinity. And I believe if you look at many of us, I mean, I have a Baptist background, and, I, and for the longest time I thought the trinity was Father, Son, and Holy Bible. Because there was no emphasis of the Spirit. Where was the Spirit of God? And so, But that's what happens, right? Because why? We understand God the Father. Yeah, I get that. I've got a dad. I understand. Okay, I get God the Father. God the Son. Get that. Jesus, I've read the Gospels. I know who He is. But Holy Spirit? It's like that weird cousin Eddie at the family that the family never talks about. That's kind of the way we treat the Holy Spirit. Like we never talk about Him. We never, because we've underemphasized Him. But here's the reality. If you and I want to be like Jesus, we must understand biblically what it means when the Scripture talks about the Holy Spirit. We have to grasp who the Holy Spirit is, how He works in our lives, if we're going to live out this life that Jesus has called us to live out. Because throughout the New Testament, Scripture over and over and over teaches us that you and I are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if we're underemphasizing the Holy Spirit, we're not going to understand and grasp what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' final words to his disciples, they're recorded, uh, some of his final words are recorded in John 14 through 16. And in those three chapters, Jesus is telling his disciples, listen, these are some of the most important things you need to grasp. You know, the, those famous last words, these are the things that you've got to understand. And in those last three chapters of the Gospel of John, chapters 14 through 16, Jesus mentions the Holy Spirit 20 times in three chapters. He's wanting His disciples to understand who the Holy Spirit is. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at this foundational principle of Jesus, dependence upon the Holy Spirit, and we're going to do so by looking at who the Holy Spirit is and the role that He plays in our lives. John 14, beginning in verse 16. I just want to read verse 16, actually. You can, you can watch it on the screen. You can flip over there. And it says this. Jesus, this is Jesus speaking. He says, And I will ask the Father. I will ask the Father. And He will give you another what? Another helper. He will give you another helper to be with you forever. First thing I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not an it. I hear oftentimes, and I've, I've probably even said it myself in, in previous years, that you know, it's leading me. No, the Holy Spirit is a person. Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as God Himself. In spirit form. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God in spirit, in spirit form. He's the third person of the Trinity. That's why Jesus referred to Him as Him and not it. And Jesus calls Him Helper or Counselor. Maybe some of your translations say Counselor. 
the word we get, the Greek word for that is paraclete. And that word comes from two separate words. Para, which means alongside with. Think of paralegal. What does a paralegal do? They come alongside the attorney. They come alongside. Or what about a parachurch ministry? You've heard of parachurch ministries? What do parachurch ministries do? They come alongside the church. And so the first word is para, which means to come alongside. And the second word that, that makes up that word paraclete is kletos, which comes uh, from the root word kaleo, which means called. So think about this. The Holy Spirit is God Himself who is called to come alongside you. Think about that. That's who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. God Himself in spirit form who is called to come alongside you and I. To be our comforter. In times of trouble. To be our intercessor, Scripture teaches, who prays for us. To be our help. To be our counselor. To be our friend. That's who the Holy Spirit is. Now, I often think about this. Like, I always think, what would it be like to actually walk when Jesus walked? Like, to have Jesus by my side. And quite honestly, I think many of you may fall in the same category. But if I had the option of having Jesus walk with me physically or the Holy Spirit, who are you going to choose? If I were honest, I would say I'd want to walk with Jesus. I mean, how cool would that be, right? You get a headache? Hey, Jesus, I got a headache. <laughs> Poof, the headache's gone. Right? Your dog dies. Jesus, Fido's dead. Jesus says, Fido live, and Fido's running around the backyard barking again. Right? Your cat gives up its ninth life. And Jesus is right there to perform the funeral. <laughs> See, Jesus in the flesh. Jesus in the flesh seems like the best thing ever. But listen to what Jesus said. Listen to what he told his disciples about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, verse 7. This is one of the most amazing promises that Jesus ever gave. And in John 16, verse 7, listen to this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your what? It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the who? Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. <laughs> Jesus is saying, listen, it is to your advantage that I go away. It is to your advantage that I'm no longer here physically with you. Why? Because if I don't go away, the Spirit will not be sent. So think about this for just a moment. Jesus is making this promise to his disciples saying, because I'm leaving, the Holy Spirit will come. And He will dwell within you and He will never leave you nor forsake you. So what Jesus is promising in this passage is that the presence of God will be with us at all times. That's what He's promising. That God's Spirit 
His presence will be with you and I at all times. Fascinating promise. So what role does the Holy Spirit play in our lives? When we think about the Holy Spirit, what role does He play? Kind of, we discover kind of who He is. He's our helper. He's our counselor. He's our guide. He's our friend. He is, he is God Himself that was sent alongside us. He was called to walk alongside us, to walk within us. And there are three primary roles. Now, here's what I want you to understand. We are just scratching the surface this morning. That's all we can do is kind of give a big overview of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So at the end of the message, you say, well, you didn't mention this, 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 and this. Yeah, I didn't. We don't have time to mention all those things that the Holy Spirit does. But what I want to do is give some general, large kind of overlooked categories of the role that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives so that you and I can have a greater grasp of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And the first thing I want you to see is the Holy Spirit helps us. He's our helper. He helps us live in the presence of God. The Holy Spirit helps us live in the presence of God. Think about this. Throughout Scripture, when you pick up God's Word and you begin to read God's Word, from the very beginning in Genesis to the very end in Revelation, God desires to be with His people. It began in the Garden of Eden. And Scripture talks about the fact that God would walk with them through the coolness of day. He would walk with His people. Why? He didn't have to. But He desired to. He wanted to be with His people. And in the Garden of Eden, God began to walk with His people. In Exodus, what does it say? God led the people through a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. Why? Because He desired to be with His people. Later on, the Israelites build a temple and they consecrate the temple. And here's what the Israelites declare. They declare, our God dwells in the midst of us. God lives here with us. As a matter of fact, they had a name for God. Then it was Jehovah Shema, which means the God who is here. The last few weeks we've been talking about, at the end of last year, the Messiah... And Scripture says that He was Emmanuel. Who means what? God with us. But listen to this. Jesus now says that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, has been sent not to be with us, not to be in our midst, but listen to what He's about to say. He's going to say the Spirit of God is God in us. In fact, the Apostle Paul described it this way. He said, this is the mystery that has been, been confounding people for years. In Colossians chapter 1, he says, this is the mystery that all the prophets, all the Old Testament writers were writing to, and it is this, the mystery of this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here's the way Jesus described it. Go back to John chapter 14 and look at verse 16 again. We've already read that verse. We're going to read the following verses. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But look what He says. But you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be what? In you. He will be in you. That, my friends, is the hope of glory. God's presence is with us. But then look at verse 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. 
I will come to you. See, through the Holy Spirit, God himself should be as real and as present to each and every one of us as Jesus was to his disciples. Think about that. God, through the Holy Spirit, should be as real and present to us as Jesus was to his disciples. Now, here's the question. Is that the experience of your Christian life? Does it, do you sense that God is that present with you? Do you live in the presence of a real personal God on a daily basis? Do you sense the Holy Spirit communing with you, moving in you, speaking to you, working in you, and through you? Listen, the pre- living in the presence of, of God is necessary for you and I to live a victorious life. It is absolutely apparent that you and I cannot live this life that God has called us to live without the presence of God living in and working through us. And we must, if we want to live victorious Christian lives, we must live in the, per, in the presence of God through His Spirit. This paraclete, the one who is called to be and to come alongside us and actually to live in within us. See, the Christian life is not about doing a bunch of stuff or manufacturing the right feelings. No, it is found in abiding in the presence of a person. And that person is the Holy Spirit. That's what the victorious Christian life is all about. Think about this. How would your relationship with God change? How would it change? I just want to think about this just for a moment. How would your relationship with God change if you saw His presence with you as a real person? In other words, if you understood that feeling of conviction... Right before you're, you're about to commit a sin, was actually his voice? Dramatically changed our lives, wouldn't it? Or what if you saw that, that sin was not just breaking a law, that sin was not just doing something bad, but sin was actually grieving a person? Hmm. Or better yet, how would your Christianity change? How would your walk with God change if you understood? That in those moments in life, when you and I are walking through life, and perhaps we're, we're, in, we're experiencing a difficulty, perhaps we're experiencing the joy of, of, of something that great that's happened, but the, whichever it is, but one of those promises of Scripture come to mind. You ever have those moments where you're just sitting there and the promise of Scripture pops in your head? And you're like, oh man, and it brings relief to you, it brings joy to you, it brings comfort to you. What if in those moments when those scriptures pop in your mind or the truth of God's word pops in your mind or the truth of God's love for you pops in your mind and it speaks directly into your circumstances, what if in those moments you remember that those just aren't truths you're remembering but a person who is speaking them to you? I believe it would dramatically change the way we live out our Christian lives. If we understand that all those things are the God's Holy Spirit speaking to us, working in us, dwelling in us. See, the longer I've studied the Holy, the Holy Spirit, the most surprising thing that I've discovered is this, is that the, the fullness of the Spirit 
is directly related to our depth in the gospel. See, oftentimes we don't equate the two. Oftentimes we have churches and people that kind of lean toward doctrine or lean toward spirit. But here's the reality. The fullness of the spirit of God in our lives is directly related to our depth in the gospel. They go hand in hand. Listen to what Paul said to the church in Ephesus. This was a prayer that he was praying for the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. But in verse 14 he says, For this reason I bow on my knees before the Father. And then what he says, this is the prayer he's praying for the church, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit, in your inner being. So again, Paul is praying, God, I pray that you would empower them, strengthen them with the power of your spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. But then look what he does. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, there's the gospel, that you'd be rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and the know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Again, there's the gospel, the length, the breadth, the height, the depth of the gospel, so that you may be filled with the fullness of God, the Spirit. Do you see in that passage how depth in the gospel, understanding God's immense love for you, fills us with the fullness of God, fills us with the Spirit of God. So the Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit, and depth in the Gospel are incredibly connected. You know, I mentioned earlier that there are two types of Christians, generally speaking. Those that tend to focus on the Gospel and doctrine, but have little awareness of the presence of His Spirit. And those that tend to focus on the Spirit, but seem to forget that it's tied to the Gospel. But if you and I want to live biblically-centered lives, here's what that means. We need to learn the profound and inseparable unity between the two, between the gospel and between the Spirit. They are completely and totally unified. They're inseparable. Our depth in the gospel will produce in us the fullness of the Spirit. What do I mean by that? By going deep into the gospel, we become alive in the Spirit. Let me say that again. By going deep into the gospel, you and I will become alive in the Spirit because the Spirit of God makes the truth and presence of God come alive to us. So the first thing the Holy Spirit does, the Holy Spirit helps us live in the presence of God. Second thing the Holy Spirit does, the Holy Spirit helps us experience the power of God. The Holy Spirit helps us experience the power of God. You can jot this down in your notes, John 15, beginning in verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. Again, these are some of the last words of Jesus in John 14 through 16. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. 
You see, it is abiding in Christ that the Spirit indwells us, and, and apart from that, we can't do anything, according to Jesus. That is our spiritual, our spiritual sense of, of, of power comes from abiding. See, one of the things this principle teaches that, that um, this passage teaches is the way God works in us, the way He changes us, the way He transforms us is, is really as he transforms us through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's really kind of organic growth. And what I mean by that is that, that God plants the seed of the gospel in our lives. And through the water and light of his spirit, he causes the gospel to grow within us and produce fruit, spiritual fruit in our lives. Does that make sense? So we got this organic growth. God plants the seed of the gospel he waters it through his, his spirit, causes it to grow through his spirit, and we produce spiritual fruit. But I think the, the reality of it is so many of us that follow Christ don't exactly live that way. And what I mean by that is this. So often, we've been taught that, that, that our Christian lives and the way we grow and the way we change is not through organic growth, but through mechanic growth. And what I mean by that is this. We add these things, we take away these things, and then God will cause us to grow. Then God will produce fruit in us. And what we end up doing is we end up replacing religious rituals for being spirit-filled. We, we end up taking these religious rituals that often become mechanical substitutes for genuine organic growth through the Spirit and the power of God. As the great theologian Bono once said, Religion is what happens when the Spirit has left the building. Pretty profound thought. Religion is what happens when the Spirit has left the building. And Jesus' one word prescription here, one thing he tells us to do in John 15 is to abide. Abide in me. Abide in my love. And when you abide, my spirit will fill you. It will begin to transform you. It will begin to change you from the inside out. Not things that you do externally, but transformation that occurs internally. And my power will then begin to work through you and in you. You see, church, when you and I abide and surrender to His power, listen to what He does, the Holy Spirit then begins to equip you and I to live supernatural lives. The Holy Spirit, when we abide, again, Jesus said, abide in me, because apart from me you can do nothing. This is when you and I abide. When we abide, the Spirit's power is able to work through us. He empowers us with spiritual gifts. Those spiritual gifts like teaching, prophecy, um, all those different gifts that are listed in Romans and, and other places in Scripture, those gifts that Paul says are used to edify the body and glorify the Father. They're, they're designed, those spiritual gifts are given to us as we abide. And, and the Holy Spirit empowers us with spiritual gifts so that we can glorify, the, glorify God and edify the church. But then not only that, He guides us in all truth. He gives us victory over our flesh. He produces in us spiritual fruit, which is different than spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are given to us as we have need. Spiritual fruit are those things that should be produced in our lives as a result of abiding in Christ. What are those spiritual 
spiritual fruit that, that talks about it. Well, Galatians 5 talks about it. It says there's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. So get this. Anytime you live with patience, what is that? That is the power of the Holy Spirit working through you. Because any of you naturally patient? Anybody? Liar. None of us are naturally patient. Given our own devices, we will not be patient. Kindness, no. You're not going to be naturally kind. We are born sinners. You may have moments where you are kind, but it's a fluke. Why? Because what the Scripture is teaching us is that the Holy Spirit helps us experience the power of God. So anytime you and I live with patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, anybody naturally have self-control? No, you don't. Put your hand out. Because I know we're getting toward the middle of January, and many of you said you're going to have self-control and not any more, any more chocolate cake. But you've already eaten chocolate cake. You've already failed on the self-control. Why? Because by nature, we do not have self-control. So listen, anytime you experience and anytime you live out self-control, what is that? That's God's power working through you through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is saying. So the Holy Spirit helps us Live in the presence of God. The Holy Spirit helps us experience the power of God. And the third thing I want to hit on today is the Holy Spirit helps us fulfill the purposes of God. The Holy Spirit helps us fulfill the purposes of God. Listen to what Jesus said in John 14, verse 12. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Oh, wait a second. Jesus said we're going to do greater works than Jesus? Really? I mean, seriously. Anyone here heal the sick this week? Raise the dead? Walk on water? Me either. Seems like an impossible promise, doesn't it? But listen, what Jesus means by greater works... Is greater works of redemption. See, what is the works that Jesus came to do? Let's just think about this for a minute. What is the work that Jesus came to do? To redeem mankind, right? That's why at the end of his life, when he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Father, let this pass from me. Let this cup pass. What was the cup? The cup of his death. The cup of his crucifixion. The cup of, the, of His forgiveness of our sins. That was the work He was sent to do. All the miracles that Jesus did, what were they designed to do? Point to His work. Point to what He was called to do. To bring about our salvation. To bring about our redemption. So I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't tell His followers that they're going to do the exact same things that He did. In the sense of miracles, in the sense... Of, now, I'm not saying that God can't perform miracles in and through us. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that's not the promise that Jesus made. The promise He made that we would do greater works than He. And I think what He meant by that is a couple of things. One, I think He meant that when Jesus was on earth, 
his ministry and the Holy Spirit focused his ministry on a particular region in Galilee. At a particular time and place in the first century. And, in, and, 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 and on one individual, Jesus. But now, as he promised already that it is to our advantage that he go, now the Holy Spirit empowers his followers all across the world. You think about this. We're just a small little section of God's entire kingdom that is gathered today worshiping all over the world. One of the greatest growths in the church right now is in the country of Iran. Think about that. The gospel is exploding in Iran this, this time, this, at this time, which is fascinating. But why is that happening? Because it's greater works. Greater works. Because now His Holy Spirit empowers every single follower of Jesus. Now His Holy Spirit empowers each and every one of us to go out and carry the gospel where we live, work, and play. And so the first aspect of these greater works is the fact that, that His Spirit was going to empower believers so that the gospel could be carried throughout the ends of the earth. But not only that, I believe that the collective impact of ordinary Christians filled with the Holy Spirit would be greater than that if Jesus had stayed. You see, now you and I collectively can walk out of these doors this week and live filled with the Holy Spirit, and our collective impact would be, will be greater than if Jesus had stayed. That's what he means when he says we'll, be, we'll have greater works. Because you and I carry the, 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 the Holy Spirit. He indwells us. He goes with us. He is par, our paraclete. He is called to come alongside us. Those are the greater things. So in other words, here's, here's what that, that means, I think, in reality of many of us. Is that your Christian service, your ministry, what God has called you to do, and what, what you need to do is you have to figure out what He's called you to do. You have to discover what He's called you to do. Because the reality is none of us individually can do it all. That's why individually we have to seek and discover what God has called us to do, and then let Him do it through you. Your responsibility is to go figure it out. The Holy Spirit's responsibility is to work through you to accomplish it. That's how He helps us. That's how, that's how the Spirit helps us fulfill God's purposes. We discover what He wants us to do, and then His Spirit empowers us to go and do it. See, service for Jesus is not about going and doing a bunch of stuff for God. That's not what this means at all. But here's what it means. It means yielding yourself to the Holy Spirit and letting Him continue Jesus' work through you. Not just go running around doing a bunch of stuff. Discover what He has you to do. In other words, service for Jesus is not about good ideas, but about God ideas. It is about the Holy Spirit speaking to you, and directing you, and working through you, and telling you, here's what I want to do through you. People often ask me, and maybe you're even questioning right now, Eric, how on earth do I know when it's a God idea? How, how do I know and how do I separate a good idea from a God idea? 
And, and how do I know when the Spirit is speaking? And how do I recognize the Holy Spirit's voice versus my own? Anybody ever ask those questions? I know I have. And I just want to give you some, as a general rule of thumb, and, and just a few things. First of all, if I'm feeling prompted to do something that I know is sin, that's my voice. Listen, if I'm, doing, if I'm feeling prompted to do something that only benefits me, because of my selfish nature, I just assume that's also my voice. If it's just for my benefit and no one else, not to bring glory to God, not to help anybody else, just, just to satisfy my own desires or to fulfill my own, uh, my, my own self, then I'm just assuming, I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking that that's probably my thoughts, not the Holy Spirit's is putting in there. But on the other hand, if I'm prompted to do something that I know I should do, I assume that's the Holy Spirit speaking to me. If, if I'm being convicted not to do something that I know is wrong, again, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to me. If I'm led to do something that's going to be a blessing to others, I also assume that it's the Holy Spirit speaking to me. Let me give you just one, um, one example of, of my own uh, failure. See, my failures become examples for you so you don't have to repeat them. Um, and my failure actually happened this morning. So, and here's what happened. So this uh, last Tuesday, yeah, a week ago Tuesday, I pulled a muscle in my back sleeping. And y'all can laugh. It's, I'm getting old. Uh, I get it. Um, and some of y'all have done it too. So just, you know, you know you have. And so I uh, woke up weird, had, you know, pulled muscle in my back. And, you know, so what do I do? Take some leave, go see the chiropractor, do that all week, right? I mean, that's what I'm doing. That's what many of you would do, right? If you had a pulled muscle in your back, what would you do? Take some leave, go to the chiropractor, do some stretching. Well, that's what I've been doing. This morning, I'm reading 2 Corinthians. And as I'm reading 2 Corinthians, I get to the point where Paul begins to say, you know, I've got a thorn in my flesh. And he says, I prayed and asked God to remove it three times. And in that moment, I sense, you know what, Eric? You haven't prayed once about your lower back all week. You haven't asked me to remove it. You haven't asked me to take it away. You've just taken a leave and gone to the chiropractor, which are not bad. I'm not saying we're not creating a cult where we're not going to go to the doctor. That's not what I'm saying at all. <laughs> if you're sick, if you've got pain, go to the doctor. But it was in that moment that the Holy Spirit just reminded me, hey, listen, I can do far better adjustments than the chiropractor. I can take away pain far better than a leave. See, church, that is how the Holy Spirit works in us. So this morning, I prayed that my back, that God would take away the pain in my lower back. Now, he may use a leave in the chiropractor still this week. But the reality is now, now my focus has shifted from the pain in my back to the power of the Holy Spirit working in me. You see the way that works? So my failure becomes your example. My lack of prayer this week over that specific instance becomes your example of how the Holy Spirit speaks to us and nudges us. So then now what I know, what I know to be true is next time, because there will be a next time that my lower back goes out. 
I'm, I'm just that old. This is going to happen. But here's what I know. I know next time, before taking a leave and going to the chiropractor, what do you think I'm going to do? Pray. So the Holy Spirit's not been condemning me because of that. But what has He been doing? He's been coaching me and leading me so that next time, next time, I do it different. So for me, that's how I determine and differentiate between the Spirit of God speaking to me and my own voice speaking to me. And we say, Eric, well, that still doesn't give complete clarity because, you know, not, maybe that's not my thing to do. But here's the reality. If you and I followed every single God prompt, if we followed every God prompt, every one of those little prompts, like I should speak to that person or I should do this for that person that would, that would glorify God and bless someone else, if we, did, if we said yes to all those things, what would be the problem? Right? Think about it. What would be the issue? What's the worst that could happen if we said yes to every single one of those little prompts that we get? I should text so-and-so. I should call so-and-so. I should do this for my neighbor. I should do that for my coworker. What would be the problem? What's the worst that could happen? The worst that could happen is that we might be a blessing to someone else. The worst that could happen... good that's bad i mean that'd be terrible wouldn't it the worst that could happen is we could bring glory to god see my encouragement to each and every one of us is just say yes to those small prompts in our lives because the worst that could happen the worst that could happen is that god could use you to do something in someone else's life that's the worst may cost you a little bit of time, may even cost you a little bit of money. But when we do that, God's Spirit begins to speak with us. But here's the reality. On the flip side of that, the more we say no to those little God prompts, the less God asks us to do those things. The harder it is to hear His voice, the more frequently we say no to those small things. So I want to leave you with this. Just one final thought. One final challenge, if you will, and that's this. Very simply, be filled with the Holy Spirit. This week, as you leave today, as we walk out of here today, I just encourage you, very simply, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And some of you are going, Eric, I have no idea how to do that. I don't even know what that means. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm glad you asked. First and foremost, I believe being filled with the Holy Spirit is saturating yourself with the gospel. The first thing, you have to saturate yourself with the gospel. The breadth, the length, the depth, the height of God's love for you. You saturate yourself with the gospel. Because here's the reality. God's, the Spirit of God grows in you as you grasp God's love for you. The Spirit of God grows in you as you grasp the love of God for you. So saturate yourself with the gospel. Remind yourself of God's unchanging love for you every single day. The second thing is this. Confess your need to Him. Confess your need for Him. See, confidence in ourselves, confidence in ourselves makes it impossible for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
If you have confidence in your flesh, then you are saying no to being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's just as simple as that. So we have to, be, we have to confess our need, to him, need for Him, realize that, that God will only fill, get this, God will only fill empty hands. God will only fill empty hands. God cannot close clenched fists that say, clenched, clenched fist that say I've got this. We have to open our hands and God can fill them. Saturate yourself with the gospel. Confess your need for Him. And then finally, fully surrender all, all to the Holy Spirit. Fully surrender all. See, walking with Christ, Christianity, is not a discipline that you and I can master but it is a person that we follow. It's not a discipline that we master. It is a person that we follow. It's a person that we walk with. Which, if that's true, if that's true, that, 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 that Christianity is not a discipline to master, but a person to walk with, a person to follow, if that's true, then there are really only two categories for us in this room today. Fully surrendered or in rebellion. And if we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we have to be fully surrendered. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful that you promised us that, that it would be to our advantage for you to leave. And I know so often it's so hard to get our head around and to, and to fully understand. But Jesus, that was your promise. And today I pray that you would give us just a glimpse of why that is true. Why it is so important that you would leave us and send your Holy Spirit. And we're so grateful for you, Holy Spirit, that you, have, you are called to come alongside us to be our counselor, to be our friend, to be our helper, to be our guide. And Father, my prayer is that we would be filled with your Holy Spirit today, that we would saturate ourselves with the gospel, confess our need for you, and surrender all. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, church, in this next few moments, I want us to really enter into this in a sense of prayer and a sense of worship. Because the reality is so many of us have been living our Christian life void of this power of God and the Spirit of God. The reality of our Holy Trinity has been Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And yet, the Spirit of God wants to empower you wants to help you, wants to guide you, wants to lead you, wants you to let you experience the fullness of God. And so I just want to use this time for you to first and foremost to confess your need for Him. Remind yourself of His love for you and surrender all that you have. Let's stand and worship. And you can use this altar to pray. You can use Charles, Robert, myself will be up front if you want to come pray with someone feel free to do so, but let's just ask the Spirit to fall on us.
the Spirit come and lead us and guide us.